welcome to Across the Margin, the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Shields. Across the Margin, the podcast is a proud member of the Osiris Media Group. Check out their outstanding collection of podcasts at osirispod.com. In this episode of Across the Margin, the podcast, we feature an interview with author Tim Johnson. Tim is the author of the novels Descent and The Current, the story collection Irish Girl and the young adult novel Never So Green. He's the recipient of the 2015 Iowa Author Award, and his latest novel, Distant Sons, is the focus of this episode. What if? What if Sean Cortland's old Chevy truck had broken down somewhere else? What if he'd never met Denise Givens, a waitress at a local tavern, and gotten into a bar fight defending her honor? Or offered a ride to Dan Young, another young man like Sean, burdened by secrets and just drifting through the small Wisconsin town. Instead, in Distant Sons, Sean enlists Dan's help with the construction job in the basement of a local, the elderly recluse, Marion Devereaux. And gradually, the two men come to realize that they've washed up in a place haunted by the disappearance of three young boys decades earlier. As Sean and Dan's friendship deepens, and as Sean gets closer to Denise and her father, they come to the attention of a savvy local detective who has her own reasons for digging into Dan's past and for being unable to resist the pull of the town's unsolved mystery. And with each chance connection, an irreversible chain of events is set in motion that culminates in shattering violence and the revelation of long-buried truths. Gripping and immersive, this crime novel becomes so much more. A book about friendship and love and good hard work. And a masterful read about how the most random intersection of our lives can have consequences both devastating and beautiful. So, we have a treat today. Conducting the interview is Douglas Grant, a part of the Across the Margin team, someone we're very grateful for over here. He is an educator and an author himself. He wrote two tremendous books. Those are Preemptive and Imaginary Lines. Two excellent books. Couldn't recommend them more. And if you're not familiar with Tim's work or Distant Sons, you're going to want to hear this interview. And if you are familiar with his work or Distant Sons, you're definitely going to want to hear this interview. So, here it is. Douglas Grant interviewing Tim Johnson. Podcast. So here we go. I'm here with Tim Johnson, author of his latest novel, Distant Sons, also author of Descent, Current, the short story collection, Irish Girl, and you have a YA novel, correct? That's true. Yep, that was my first published novel. Um, I've been a fan of your work since I picked up Descent uh, a few years ago. And I was gripped by it. Uh, I know you say not to judge a book by its cover, but I was gripped by the cover. I found it quite intriguing and I picked it up. And what I thought I was looking at at the time was a psychological thriller, which in some ways it is. But after reading the novel, I found it is so much more than that. It's also a family drama um, and it deals with the family's pain over this very uh, tragic thing that happened to them. And this is kind of something that's gone through your other two novels, which there's an element of psychological thriller uh, drama, but it's also very driven by this family dynamic. Would you like to comment on that? Yes. Well, um, I, I 
think that comes from beginning first. My, my first and primary interest is in the characters, developing the characters and making them feel real to me, getting to know who they are um, so that they feel real to the reader. And that's, that can be a pretty uh, long-term process. You know, it, it doesn't, I don't start out the book knowing who they are. I, I learn who they are through the, through the writing. And into that process, I throw something that is very challenging. That tends to be kind of life and death. And this is where the kind of the crime element or the suspense element, the thriller element um, comes in. But foremost, I think it's, it's what the characters do, who they are that drives the plot. And even though there's tends to be some kind of random mishap that happens to these people, it's how they react to it. Um, uh, and particularly how the, those who are left behind, for instance, uh, react to it going forward. It had been a few years since I'd read Descent, so I wanted to apologize for forgetting Sean's name right out the gate when I had picked up Distant Sons. In reading the beginning, I was with this character and when his truck breaks down, and you're very masterful at the way you described uh, your characters and your characterization. I found myself reading this character and saying to myself, huh, this bears striking similarities to the brother from Descent. And then I ran into the issue where I'm actually picturing Sean as he goes through this. I'm like, stop that. This is not the same character. Uh, this is a new novel. And then I start to read some more and I went back and checked, wait, this is Sean Cortland. This is Sean Cortland from Descent. Uh, did you know that you were going to revisit this character? When did you know that you were going to write about this character again? Well First of all, let me say that I'm, I'm really uh, actually very delighted by that uh, non-recognition. Uh, it's great to have it, but the, the, the books uh, are not serial. You don't have to read the previous books to, um, to read this one. Um, but the answer, the short answer is, uh, when did I know? Was that the question? Yeah, when did you know you were going to revisit this character? Yeah, so I think um, probably not long after finishing... Um, the current, uh, I had this idea, not just to bring back Sean Cortland, but to bring back um, Dan Young, who is in the middle novel, The Current, uh, and a kind of um, fateful crossing of paths of the two characters. Uh, it, it began, the more I thought about it, it began to make more sense because of logistics, um, where they're from, where they're where they were last seen at the end of those novels. Um, in, in, the court, in the case of Descent, of Sean and is following, let's say, what's left of his family back to uh, Wisconsin, which is where they're from. And uh, he's following in the truck, and they're in the car, and there's this line that says, uh, he was following them for now. It's two words, not a line, but those two words always suggested me, to me the idea that he might not get back to Wisconsin. If he does, it's not going to be the old family, you know, um, that they were when they went to the mountains. Uh, in the case of Dan Young, at the end of uh, the current, we don't know where he is, except that the last the last we know of him, his truck is parked near the Mississippi River on the border between uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin. So if he was heading toward Wisconsin and, and, and something uh, befell him, um, it's possible that he ends up in Wisconsin as well. And that's how the two uh, come to meet in a, in a small town in Wisconsin um, because it's a small town and, and their circumstances place them there. Random events 
largely, although Dan is going that way for a reason. Um, Sean was headed that way, but as you said, he had a, uh, his truck broke down. So that puts him in the same small town right across the river. When it comes to Dan and his entrance into the novel is interesting. I, you know, readers expect closure for a lot of plot lines, but in your case, across the three novels, they don't get closure in every way. I remember reading The Current and at the end of it, thinking to myself, all right, we have certain plot lines wrapped up, certain not, but the way he exited the story, I was like, huh, okay, well, we're not going to get closure with this character and maybe that's okay. It did leave me wanting, but I thought, okay, this is a conscious decision from the author and I got to respect that. And uh, maybe, maybe in the not knowing that's going to enliven the story. And then here he walks into this diner and I didn't know it was him right away because he's just described as another man about roughly Sean's age. But I started to get my suspicions as the interaction between the two uh, progressed, which was interesting because I don't know if you had done this on purpose, but you kind of threw me a curveball because when Sean walks into the diner, in walk two college girls and sit down, and I say to myself, now wait a minute, <laughs> if we're seeing Sean Cortland again, is it possible that these are... Um, these are Caroline and Audrey from The Current. And so I started looking at maps and I started looking at timelines and I realized, uh, okay, this is not these two. But, uh, then, but then in walks Dan Young. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, I never thought about the college girl connection. That's interesting. Um, it's funny where readers' minds go, uh, particularly if someone is as familiar as you are with the previous two books. Uh, and also I don't, Dan doesn't get named for a while because he, there's no reason for him to be named uh, right away. Um, he's he's entering the book through Sean's point of view, um, so he's just a stranger. Uh, and and uh, it's only when they progress a little farther along that they actually say each other's names. Um, but yeah, so that was um, it was kind of fun to play around with, um, but uh, and and I understand a lot of I understand that particularly when you're writing in a genre like this, uh, that it was never really my natural genre, but I just sort of uh, fell into it, this sort of thriller, uh, crime, drama. Resolution is is fairly uh, the norm <laughs> and is expected. And there were a number of readers who were sort of like scratching their heads over, you know, not knowing what happens to Dan Young at the end of the book. And um, a, a lot of people have wondered, well, I, maybe he's writing a, a sequel. And I definitely was never planning to write a sequel, as we talked about a minute ago. I really just, uh, the idea developed. I was all right with the ambiguity myself of not knowing uh, what happens to him. Um, but I could understand readers, you know, not being so all right with it. But anyway, now you do know. Uh, and, uh, and, and maybe that was one of the reasons I wanted to do this uh, crossing paths of the old characters. is because I felt like maybe I did want some resolution after all. You know what it reminded me a little of, and I don't, I'm taking a, a swing here, but are you by any chance a fan of Cormac McCarthy's The Border Trilogy? I knew you were going to say that. Did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're making great connections, yeah. Well, um, that jumped out at me for a couple reasons. Sure. One, you want to say why? Yeah, please. Oh, do you want no, me to? Yeah. You want to say well, on the, on the one hand, you have a standalone novel about this one protagonist, and then you have another standalone novel about this other protagonist. And going into that, I knew it was a loosely connected trilogy just because it was called the Border Trilogy. It had been written years ago. 
And then in the third novel, these two characters have formed a bond. They formed a friendship. And one strikes me, they've both been through uh, a lot of trauma, but one seems a little more grounded, a little more, uh, he's got a better grip on his situation where another seems more adrift. And I started drawing these parallels uh, in the struct, both the structure and the way the characters interact with each other. Yeah, and, and you know that wasn't that wasn't really an intentional nod, but I'm a big fan of the Porter trilogy, and uh, I've read those books many times. So certainly it, it seeped into me some somehow and somewhere, but but it didn't occur to me till later that or till I was underway that yeah, there's that's a pretty strong similarity, um, particularly in that the the two young protagonists um, don't know each other in, in the first two books. Uh, in the case of the Border trilogy, you never know exactly how they meet. Um, they're already into their friendship, um, by virtue, but by virtue of being from the same area, um, near the you know San Angelo area, and being ranchers who end up working on the same ranch. So, but in my case, I wanted to show um, where they meet, how they meet, and the beginning of whatever that connection becomes, that relationship. So I do think of it as a trilogy. I don't think of it as a as a series again. Um, they all they all stand alone, but I do think of it as a trilogy, and uh, and I have come up with a proper name like the Border Trilogy, but maybe we'll we'll come up with one. <laughs> Did when you're when reading your novels, you the readers presented with this this problem, this conflict, and it is what jumps out when they're reading the synopsis on the back. And it's the problem that the reader thinks is they're going to be going through with these characters. But then this problem unfolds, and then it turns out that there's this greater and sometimes separate problem altogether, a different story involving different characters. But there is a connective tissue with these characters. And the connective tissue never seems too forced. It always seems like when you're taking a step back, the reader that is, and looking at the bigger picture, you see how these this connective tissue actually enlivens the characters and deepens their interactions with each other. Um, is that something that you set out to do during your drafting process, or does it just kind of take on life of its own? On well, it, it is on the jacket cup copy, so it's no. I don't think it's any spoiler to say what I think you're talking about is the three boys who go missing. Um, there's that storyline. Three goes three boys go missing from this small town in the 1970s. Uh, one boy per summer, and then it just stops for reasons unknown. Um, and, Dan, and Sean Cortland ends up going to do some carpentry work to make some money So after his car breaks down so he can get back on the road, and he goes to work for uh, an old cranky old dude in the woods named Marion Devereaux, who uh, is just weird enough and isolated enough that, you know, there were, there were rumors that he might, that he and his family may have involved some way in those missing children but you know it's just gossipy folk talk um small town talk but anyway dan or sean goes ends up working for um Devro and brings along dan young after they become um after they meet and uh, sean needs some help so dan agrees to go help him so yeah so those are the two and and things happen to dan and sean in the in the present tense that that really don't have much to do with that old story. Um, but there is that connective tissue um, that ultimately um, combines the two, connects the two stories. 
That's it wasn't, what? Yeah, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, again, I wanted some, it's kind of a story that I wanted there to be sorrow kind of all around, you know, and, and what's this, and if a town has a sorrow, it's this story that's become like their defining story, this unsolved um, thing that happened. And there are still people around who um, were connected to that story directly. And Dan and, and uh, or Sean and Dan end up interacting with those people. Yeah, and there's an especially poignant moment, and without giving too much away, there is an interaction between Dan and Marianne Devereaux that's very emotional, and although their stories aren't tied together, they uh, share similarities in the way they've uh, been treated by the people who live in their small town lives. And I I thought, if anything were to connect these two separate stories together, that was one of the most beautifully written uh, interactions and uh, passages of dialogue I'd read in the novel. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was kind of a late, you know, that um, that was kind of a late addition. It was one of the later things that I drafted. The book had progressed beyond that point, and I went back and thought, or was directed back by my early readers or editors that were like, you know, maybe there needs to be a stronger moment with Dan and Devereaux. And, and, and once I realized that, it, it came very easily. I saw those connections more clearly. What what they two what the two have in common? Oh, so it kind of unfolded as you were writing during the process. I like yeah. that. Yeah. <clears throat> you write about an America that I'm not familiar with. I grew up on the East Coast. I moved to the West Coast, and it, it, in a lot of ways, it can be about small town America, but it's more than that. But uh, in terms of this America you write about, it's in some ways to me, it almost seems, in a sense, timeless with regards to these people have been there for generations. And granted, a lot of people have moved out of town um, across the three novels, in fact. But when I'm reading the novel, I sometimes feel like, and obviously when you jump back and forth between two storylines, it's uh, 1977, 2018. I still feel like we're in a, a small town America that has kind of stood still in time in a lot of ways. And in fact, it wasn't until I encountered they were talking about Ask Jeeves that I reminded, okay, no, we're in 2018, we're not in the 70s, we're not in the... um, Is that a conscious decision on your part, or do you... Am I off base here? No, you're not off base, Um, but I don't know if it's a conscious decision either. I think it's more of a, just a natural inclination to um, imagine those places. Um, They're the places I grew up in. Uh, and still live, as a matter of fact, I still live in a small town. Well, I, I've come back. I've lived many different places. I lived in L.A. for many years, well, 10 years. But anyway, uh, this is my sort of comfort zone. It's the people I know. Um, I worked as a carpenter for many years, so I'm familiar with um, being in, being working with my hands and, you know, being a blue-collar guy. Um, so it's natural for me to imagine people who come from these places. And when I start to imagine them, the place kind of grows up around them. And that's, you know, it's, 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 you can't separate the two. There's these characters I'm imagining and they're the people they are because they come from these particular places. Um, and that comes with a, a kind of mindset, a kind of, a, I don't know, some, sometimes a kind of naivete about what the rest, what can happen to them. You know, <laughs> the dangers of the world, like when the Cortlands go to the Rocky Mountains, you know, they just, 
have no idea what kind of world they're going into. Um, just the raw, natural, you know, danger of the place. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a comfort zone. It's an intentional, you know, I can't imagine. And I also like the, I like building these small towns as worlds, you know, as opposed to building a larger town or city. Uh, it just feels more intimate. It tends to, for me, it tends to put the characters in closer contact with each other. Um, more sparks can fly. People know each other. They know what's going on. Rumors can fly. Talk can fly. Um, things can quickly get sort of um, out of hand. So I think uh, it, it's just where I feel like I, I have the, um, I'm in my natural element, I guess. I actually met you years ago when you were here in Portland. You were doing a book tour for The Current and I remember two things I wanted two things I wanted to talk to you about was one the character of Billy from Descent. He was one of, he was my favorite character you've written uh just because how nuanced he is. But one of the things I meant to ask you when I met you face to face was and I've seen other uh people who've read your work comment on this is that uh you are very good at writing the setting almost as a character unto itself. In the current, it was the river and the small towns. Uh, and I, well, I guess in your last two novels, the, the small towns on either side of the river, in Descent, it was the mountain. Uh, and I guess two-part question, what is your relationship with Colorado? And also, are you, when, when people give you praise for how you write setting, how do you react to that? Is that something that you were aware of you were doing or as a writer, or did you go to any special effort to make that come across on the page? Okay. First question uh, is easy. Uh, Colorado, um, I went to Colorado in, in about 2007 to go work on a, as I mentioned a minute ago, I've, I've been a carpenter. I wasn't, I mean, living as a carpenter much of my adult life and I went out there to work on a house that my father and stepmother were building kind of a, what they imagined as a, a, a ski a vacation house that they would rent when they weren't using it uh, and they needed somebody to, it had been built up in the mountains in a ski resort town but all the finished work needed to be done so finally I went out there and did it which meant I was out there up in the mountains really basically alone for uh, months on end doing this work and that is when I began to get the idea of this family from the Midwest who comes out there and, um, and encounters this sort of uh, uh, random bit of violence and all the harrowing trauma that follows. Uh, and so had I never been a carpenter, um, I never would have gone to that house and I never would have had the idea for these characters. And there are, there are a lot of sort of little street names that are kind of right in the area where I was living. Um, the, it's based on a town um, called Winter Park. That's the resort town. And Fraser was adjacent to it. And that's where I was working on the house. So I never mention places. I tend not to give names to the towns. I, but I do like to use actual streets, um, landmarks. Uh, so the second question is, uh, the, sec the second answer to your second question is I don't, I don't really set out to develop place um, in any kind of um, intentional way. It happens because I, I like to imagine the world um, that my characters are in as fully as possible. So I, and it makes for some 
kind of a slow writing process. So wherever the moment is, wherever we are, I will sometimes spend a lot of time just world building. You know, where are we? What's what's the weather like? What are we seeing? What are we smelling? All the five senses. Um, uh, particularly in descent, it becomes a very uh, well. I guess in, in all of them, but particularly in that one, the the region becomes um, very um, hostile and uh, to the family, and it's something they have to learn to navigate, um, having come from the flat Midwest. So in that case, I think it was, and being a Midwesterner myself, and being sort of taken with the grandeur and, and vastness of that area. Um, I couldn't help but, you know, pay close attention to it and, and use it as much as I could. Um, and a lot of a lot of the, you know, uh, early going of the book, the world setting was done while I was still living up there. And, you know, I had my my memories to go back to after I left. I uh, speaking of your work as a carpenter, I know authors often have to research certain uh, job descriptions and details of a job to really understand what it is they're writing about but I got the sense when I was reading <laughs> Distant Sons that because I, I was unaware yet that you were a carpenter at it but I was like I, I have a feeling Tim might be a journeyman or something because he really knows his way around <laughs> construction <Wow>. and carpentry <laughs> yeah did you yeah like yeah like I said it was how I it was how I you know uh, fed myself what you know how I how I paid for writing for many years um and uh, and I think because I haven't done, I haven't done the carpentry as a, for a living for you know about eight years now, um, I think it was creeping back in because I think it was like okay I, I have enough distance on it now I'm kind of feeling nostalgic about it, and I'm kind of loving it and I want to write about it <laughs> and I have these two characters who are already it's already established that that's kind of how they make their living and you know the journeyman as you said that that was actually one of the Considered titles that was ultimately not taken. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it, was, yeah, it just didn't have the quite quite the right ring to it or something. It didn't include the other characters so much as it needed to, I think. Well, I was going to save this question for later, but since we touched on it, I'll, I'll say it now. I'm of the belief that an author should never have to explain him or herself with regards to the meaning of a title. Uh, that's just my opinion. Um, but I have seen that some of your readers have uh taken your titles to have double meanings and i can see that i can see the double meaning of descent i can see the double meaning of the current do you are you aware of this is it something that you uh, not necessarily set out to do but maybe if you heard an interpretation of what your titles meant a double meaning you're like okay i can see that yeah no absolutely and uh and 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 i'll i'll generally have already thought of it um and liked it and I do, I, I do like to have uh, a title that can be kind of uh, seen, approached from different angles, you know. Um, in this one, uh, I think that's true too. And uh, but I, I, if you want to talk about it, I'd be interested to know what your <laughs> your thoughts are on more than one meaning. But uh, you don't have to. Oh well, I, I I'll blend this with what I thought. Blend with what I've seen some other readers say. Okay. Um, you know, and in some cases, you could say one is the more obvious of the other. Uh, descent would mean these people living on a mountain, and then they have to come down the mountain and put their lives back together. And then you could also take that as meaning that they've 
descended into the state of pain and despair surrounding yeah. their their loss. Uh, the current, most obvious being the river, <laughs> but the uh, I've heard people say that the current is this energy that kind of runs through the town people and connects them all together, past, present, future, uh, yeah. the relationships they have as families. Yeah. With, and, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, with distant sons, uh, I interpret that as... Sean and Dan are these kindred spirits and if you have read the previous two novels you know what they've been through and here they are they build this brotherly friendship over the course of is it a week and yeah, it's a very sure. it's a very touching relationship um and so they are distant songs they could be related but they they're they're if they're not familial they're bound they're bound together by this shared not shared tragedy but this tragedy that's touched their lives uh, dictates the way they interact with the world around them. Right. And there's also the sons of 70 years ago, the, the three boys, who are distant in the worst possible way. You know, they've been missing all these years. Um, one less, and people, when I say it out loud, this I also like that I have to say, I have to tell them uh, it's spelled S-O-N-S and not S-U-N-S. Distant sons being, you know, kind of a uh, um, 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 a what do you call it? astrological sort of term uh, distant stars distant suns and that works for me too because that's one of Sean's uh, interests is he's uh, he's into stars and um, the uh, constellations and things like that I, I like the way you sprinkle character knowledge throughout the pages in terms of how they can derive meaning for what they're going through from things like, uh, I believe Denise's dad, uh, when Sean is just wondering about like, what is it about me that just problems keep coming to me? And he quotes Shakespeare to make him feel better. You have that explanation of how the starlings were these invasive birds that <laughs> ravaged the town. Um, your characters seem to have a lot of knowledge that when brought up in the right context, provide comfort or relief or a teachable moment for your characters. Yeah, and that's again an organic process. I don't always know that's happening or what it really or what it's really meaning um, until later, and I start to and I can go back and kind of massage it a little to you know to bring up some thematic element or um, as you say a teaching moment for a character. But um, yeah, in the case, and often it's just like well. I need a moment. I need an atmospheric here, you know, and the atmospheric is going to be a bunch of birds going overhead, a bunch of starlings. And, uh, and, and I, and I, for one reason or another, I started reading about starlings and I didn't need to, I didn't need to know a lot. They could have just been black birds. Um, but, but you know how you go into these, in these rabbit holes and one thing led to another. And the next thing I knew I was reading about how starlings came to this country and it's, it's a very uh, I think it's I read it in a couple of sources so I think it's true um, but uh, very briefly uh, uh, this pharmacist pharmacist in New York City in 19, 1890 wanted to introduce all the birds of Shakespeare into America uh, which was a terrible idea but he had he had the birds that any bird that was mentioned in Shakespeare uh, shipped to him that wasn't already here and starlings was one of them and he took 80 starlings into Central Park and released them in 1890. And um, from that, from those 80 birds, we now have the 
millions and millions of starlings that we have here, and they are uh, an invasive species. They go in and they kill native populations. So uh, I thought that's all very interesting. It'd be cool to have that in a in a in a dialogue, and I so I put it in a dialogue, and it just happens to fit, you know, the right place at the right time um, because of all that happens because of Sean's arrival in this town. I, he I think he relates to the idea of an invasive species. You know, one one good intention, uh, you know, and and nothing but bad follows. <laughs> Uh, and in that way, I feel really bad for him. He doesn't, it almost seems like he's grappling with whether he can forgive himself for things that are completely out of his control. Exactly, yeah. I've noticed in your writing style across the three novels that very pivotal, um, important moments with regards to these characters often happen off the page. And when you find out about uh, something that happened that was very important, it, the information is delivered to the reader through one of the characters um, without getting into too much detail. This happened a few times. Um, I remember it happened with one of my characters, my, my favorite character from the current Tom Sutter. <laughs> but uh, is that something you're aware of? Is that a decision that you made to say, okay, this will pack more punch if the reader is right there with the character when they get the news? I guess that's a good way to think of it. Um, I'm not really sure that I'm conscious of doing that I, I i i do yeah yeah i can think of a few examples where i might have written i might have written the scene straightforwardly and then decided well yeah this would be more interesting and more surprising um and perhaps more dramatic if um the reader learns it when um the, re the when the relative uh not relative the um the character the most character is going to be affected by it the most learns it yeah i mean a relevant character that's what i was trying to think of. and maybe it's not uh, it's not always a hundred percent important to have uh that happen like sean's bar fight that's to move the plot along that's easy enough to know that like this happened yeah. and now we're moving forward yeah, from that point. Blow by blow. right yeah. but then there's other stuff where you're just like oh wow that <laughs> that was a wallop uh yeah so I, I like that. I like that because you do got to keep the plot moving along. And, you know, that's how people experience their lives. They're not there when something happens to their loved ones. And they're not always getting the entire context of something yeah. that happened. And, and sometimes I think that's important for the reader to maybe not have all the information. They have to find out about something after the fact. Yeah. Well, it also, it also sometimes it's just um, a desire not to sort of wallow in in graphic detail you know it's like thing a lot in, in the case of descent a lot of things happen to the daughter um that aren't ever described they're just implied or they're talked about after the fact and uh, i yeah i never want to i never want to go into graphic detail for the sake of graphic detail um i like to let as much as as much as possible i like to let the reader i mean there are moments when uh, we get the sort of blow by blow of things, but uh, I'd rather the reader just fill those blanks in, you know. Well, you touched on something that I wanted to ask you about was, I'm going to guess that you maybe are uh, resistant to the idea of having your books pigeonholed by genre. Um, uh, I, I mean, I could call 
your books, family epics, I could call them psychological thrillers, but at the, at the end of the day, the way you are writing about these characters and what they're going through kind of defies the actual idea of having these books lumped into genres. Am I, am I into something here? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, um, it was most evident with the publication of Descent, the first of the three books, um, when I first started hearing the words, uh, page turner or thriller. And, um, this was very surprising and kind of unsettling to me because it did feel like a genre that I wasn't really shooting for and didn't really want to be considered a genre, you know, working in that particular genre. Um, the truth is, um, I was just trying to write the best novel I could write. Um, and I went to, I went to literary degree programs to learn how to write literary. You know, I I read literary stuff. I was reading literary stuff. Um, and I was trying to publish literary stuff and I was publishing literary, you know, literary short stories and, you know, so-called literary journals and such. So I was just setting out to write the best, strongest character-driven novel I could write. Um, it just also happened to, you know, um, have this compelling element, this uh, compulsive uh, life-or-death element to it, uh, which I, which was just me trying to raise the stakes on the storytelling. So when the marketing started coming around for Descent and I started, you know, getting a feeling for how they were going to market it. I kind of, you know, it was kind of a, a rough adjustment for me. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to be considered a literary, you know, a literary writer and, and literary suspense is fine. And I'm, I'm at peace with that now. Um, but when I see my books in the mystery on the mystery shelf, you know, <laughs> that's always kind of daunting to me because I don't read mysteries and I don't read generally, I don't read, uh, thrillers. I, I, I loved, reading them when I was younger and Stephen King was like a real inspiration to me as, as a younger person. Um, but yeah, I never, this was not what I set out to do, but you know, it also, it's also broadened the audience. You know, I think I've got a lot of readers that I wouldn't have had otherwise, but it also, some readers come in expecting sort of boilerplate thriller or suspense or crime. And, and as we've already sort of touched on at the end of the current, um, they don't always get it. They don't always get everything, you know, perfectly wrapped up for them, and that can be that can be frustrating sometimes. Well, that you're doing a great job of segueing to my list uh, of questions I want to ask you. Um, and that's another thing. I I guess when you're talking about a mystery or a thriller, I know readers. One of the smartest men I know, he watched The Sixth Sense, and he prides himself on knowing that. Bruce Willis's character had died from the moment, like the moment the boy shows in the very beginning. And I know a lot of people who uh, are quick on their uh, feet like to stay ahead of a plot. Like, can I, can I figure this out before the grand reveal? But I don't get the sense that you leave breadcrumbs for your readers because you're not building towards something like the big whodunit or anything like that. It's like, we're going to talk or we're going to explore these characters, how, how much pain they're going through, how they interact with each other, the, their, their hopes, their fears. And when, if and when we get closure to the problem of the plot that's been laid out since the beginning, that might almost come secondary to what we've been going through with these characters from the start of the novel. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
I, yeah, I don't work really hard to misdirect, you know, I'm not like trying to create red herrings all over the place. Uh, and if you figure it out, uh, even a quarter way into the novel, that's okay by me. Cause you, you'll always have some doubt. You'll say, well, this is too easy. <laughs> no. Uh, this surely can't be who did it, you know? And, uh, but I think what, I think what, I think this kind of is a, if storytelling is done well, even if you kind of know where it's going, you want to see it get there. Um, and, and you want to see how it gets there and you want to hang with these characters and see what happens to them along the way. So again, it's, it's really more about following the characters, following the current that they're in, uh, and not worrying so much about, you know, uh, a big reveal. Yeah. And I think there's something for everyone who picks up your novels, because if you take, if you take the literary fiction crowd and have them read your book, then when they're thrown into these really tense situations, I'm thinking of Descent, um, when the plot really uh, starts to reach its climax, they're going to be on the edge of their seat reading this book because maybe that's not what they had signed up for when they uh, started reading it. And then I did notice uh, a lot of people who've read your books will refer to uh, the story as a slow burn, which I don't agree with at all. I think... I hate that term. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's very misleading because uh, I think maybe those people are maybe wanting to have the plot move along at this breakneck speed so they can get to Correct. this yeah. climax they've been awaiting, whereas you are going to say, let's slow down. Like, um, in Descent, the scene where Sean is in the bar, and without giving too much away, he... Uh, he runs into a problem with some football players and there's a there's a reckoning in that regard um that is kind of outside of the main plot line and yet i wanted to stay in that for i wanted to let it run its course because i was like this is about character development this is about um what this boy's going through and how to manifest itself when he interacts with the larger world so i think there it, the way you subvert expectations for anyone who goes into your novel saying, oh, okay, this is the type of novel I'm going to be reading. I, I, I think it's handled very beautifully. Thank you. Um, yeah. In that, in that particular case, it's, it's kind of a, you know, and I, and I think this is typical of my style and my process is I am going to stay with a, a development that happens for as long as it takes, you know, I'm not going to try to cut it short or wrap it up. And in this case, again, there's a kind of a, a random accident element to it. Sean has a flat tire and uh, along comes a hitchhiker who helps him fix his flat tire. And they end up going to a bar together and they have uh, they get into uh, a big sort of complication there. Uh, and some people, this, this character's name, this hitchhiker's name is Reed Lester. And I've heard people say, I love that character. Whatever happened to him? You know, why don't you bring him back? But he comes in and he does what he what he needs to do for Sean and, and to and to show what's become of Sean these you know these last couple of years and, and the kind of character he is today, and then um, he he kind of vanishes and and that's kind of typical of my process as I bring characters in and I don't know how much lasting power they're going to have if they're just there to 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 serve a chapter's purpose or if they're going to really be. Um, pivotal to the story 
a long time, you mentioned Billy earlier from Descent. For a long time, I wasn't sure what Billy was doing in the story. And then it turns out um, he becomes quite essential. Yeah, and I would call that moment uh, a big pivot. Yeah. <laughs> and I was all in for that pivot because yeah. one minute we're heading linearly in this one direction and then sharp right turn. And that makes me wonder... I'm trying to guess. I don't think, well, <laughs> we've already talked about this, but I don't think you're the type of person who is, starts Descent and says, okay, here's the beginning of Descent, here's where we're going to be at the end of Distant Suns. But I wonder, I doubt you're also the type of author who's just like, let's just punch the keys and see what happens. I have a feeling your writing process falls somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and uh, I think that pivot happened because in Descent, um, it, because I had an idea, I thought I had an idea of where the book was going and how it was going to end. Um, but after I'd written about the characters for a certain amount of time, um, I no longer wanted it to go that way. And the resolution was to, um, it, after about a year of not knowing what the resolution would be, uh, the resolution turned out to be this character who'd been in the book all along, who does something, you know, who has a sort of pivotal purpose in the book and after that the writing went very quickly but um yeah i'm not a plotter um but i'm also not completely just sitting down and wondering oh what's going to happen today it's kind of i have ideas of what's going to what, what what's going to happen but i'm always open and i think any good writer is uh any good storyteller uh is to um go on with the flow again you know uh, being willing to change directions if, if that's where um, the story is wanting to go. Is that a great feeling for you as a writer when that light bulb goes off over your head and you're like, oh my gosh, what if oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we take this character in this direction? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's the wonderful thing about just making stuff up uh, is that, again, it's a character who just, I, I just need for the moment um, like in this book, there's a, in Distant Sons, there's a, a detective, Detective Vegas. And when we next see Sean after his truck is broken down and some weeks later and he's in custody, he's being interviewed for his role in this bar fight. And so I needed someone to be interviewing him so he could get the details of that bar fight and in walks Detective Vegas. And um, that could have been enough. You know, there's a there's a similar detective in Descent who interviews Sean Cortland in a, in a after the Nebraska football players uh, event, um, but he never shows up again. But Sean leaves this interview with Detective Vegas and goes out to smoke one of his uh, characteristic cigarettes, and um, out she walks and she stands there and has a cigarette with him and they talk. You know, and now suddenly. She's a little bit more involved in the story. And then something else happens with Dan Young that puts her in, in kind of a, a direct sort of a, take a, to have a direct kind of interest in Dan Young and what he's doing in town and to go looking for him. And this, so now she's become a real sort of um, uh, cog in the wheel of the, of the knot of the plot of the story. So, but I never, you know, when I first saw her, I was like, well, Here's the detective I need to ask Sean some questions. <laughs> so uh, that's the joy of it. You never know how much how much um, a character is going to become involved later, and 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 that is sometimes like you have to 
set them in motion to have those light bulbs go off. They have to be around, you know, and say, oh, this person could do that. And that makes sense for that. Well, I also, uh, I really enjoyed the character of Corinne Vegas. And I liked how it tapped into this uh, multi-generational story. I like how you handle generations. Is this, this is really one of the only novels where you actually or the only novel where you jumped back and forth in time, right? I mean, there are flashbacks in the previous, but it wasn't so structured as the way this one is, where it's 2018, 1977. Um, but I like that her dad was uh, the officer who was, he was a detective um, running, yeah. running the investigation on the missing boys. You handled... Uh, Sean's parents in Descent very well, and like I said before, Tom Sutter was my favorite character in Descent. I liked, I loved his relationship with Audrey. Um, yeah, that's the current, but yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, <laughs> I forgot to distinguish. But uh, I, I like the relationships between the, the two generations, and it seems like you've expanded on that with this one. And I, it's, the way you write the, De the Devereaux character, I, obviously the reader is in these two timelines and doesn't see everything that happens in between, but you can see the change in this character over the years, what the years have done to him. Um, he's so much, he's always a sympathetic character, but he's just so hardened in his later years, whereas he's more of a victim of the society he lives in when he's younger just because the town people have made up their mind about him without really having any idea who the real person is and it's heartbreaking mm -hmm. well i'm so i'm really glad to hear you say that and I, uh, we don't i don't get asked a lot about that element of the story um but it was important to me that um, we see him as a younger devro as a younger man and when he's about the age that he's close to the age that Sean and Dan are in 2018, back in 1977, he's about their age. And he's kind of doing the same sort of thing. He's going around looking for work. Um, but he is um, a, a figure of some uh, haplessness. And uh, he, he, has, he, is, he is looking for connection and never finding it, you know. And uh, But you don't see the process between who he was then and who he is in 2018 there's a big gap and and i think the reader has to make a an assessment of how he became what happened to make him such a hardened old codger yeah and he <laughs> i think the only time i already alluded to the interaction he has with dan um somewhere um towards the middle of the novel but that's where you really I think Dan is the only one who gets to see that side of him in that context just because of this very brief shared moment between the two. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, that was, that was, um, once I hit upon that connection, that, that, um, shared sort of, um, experience, uh, it did feel very natural and important to both their stories and the story and, and the story at large. And there's aspects of these characters where the reader will know the truth, but the people who interact with the, the truth about certain characters and their existences, and these are truths the reader will know, but the people who interact with the characters will never know. Yes, they'll think they know. They'll think they know, but they don't know the real truth. And that 
that satisfies my wish for ambiguity in story, but not for ambiguity for the reader. With regards to what what is next for you, uh, what you've only just recently published this. Um, there's a few not a few years between each novel. Are you taking a break right now? Or are you ready to start drafting your next novel? Well, I think I've taken my break. You're right in that um, there tends to be about three or four years um, between books. Um, and part of that process is just clearing out the old story and making room for the new, because I'm not one of these authors who has, you know, three or four novel ideas lined up. Um, when I'm in a novel, I'm just completely in it, and I'm not thinking about the next one or what it might be or anything like that. So I have to kind of, I'm kind of like a, a baby, you know, I kind of have to learn all over again what might be interesting and, and, and give it room to develop um, the way it developed in Colorado when I was just, I was doing something else. I was working on this house and it kind of snuck up on me. So I have this theory that if I just keep busy and doing other things and not try to think too hard about it, um, that the new idea will sort of begin to grow in, on its own terms um, to a point where I can't ignore it anymore. And that's what happened with Distant Sons. It was like, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like, oh, the two guys are going to cross paths. That's a great idea. Let's get to it. I was like, no, that's maybe not such a great idea. Let's, let's see if there's a better one. And we'll just keep thinking for a while and putting it off. But ultimately, I couldn't think about any other, anything else. So um, I had to just start writing it. And, and when I began writing, I still wasn't sure that this is, you know, so I didn't talk about it. I didn't tell people I was writing this novel. My agent didn't know. My The editor who published the first two novels didn't know. And and I wouldn't really talk about it until I had a, a draft to show them. And I was like, okay, this seems like a novel. Let's see what they think. And what are, what were their initial reactions? Well, uh, more importantly, my initial reaction was total dread. Uh, <laughs> like I spent all this time and, you know, they were going to say, uh, yeah, this one's not really working for us. And that's just my brain, you know, messing with me. Um, but it was, and, and, and this was what was interesting about the reaction was, A, uh, yeah, this is a great novel. We love it. We want to work. We want to work on it. Um, but they didn't make the connection between the. And these are people who had read the first two novels, so they had not made the connection, um, not directly to the first two, to those characters from the first two novels. And that was like a total victory for me because I really wanted the book to stand alone. And and if they were interested in it without making the connection to the previous two novels, then it meant I had succeeded. And that happened both for my agent and for my uh, editor. Well, yeah, it also happened. I mean, it happened to me. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't expect people to have total recall, but that, but, but, but it just sort of um, the goal was to make a standalone novel, and if they didn't, if they, if they, if they, and it, if people read it and they have no idea there's the, the previous two books and they're satisfied with it, that's that's great, and I've succeeded. Well, I think you handled that really well because. This is a standalone novel. I mean, I, I, I don't see it as part three in a trilogy. I see it as a standalone novel. And you provide the reader with just enough context for what came before that it makes sense for the story they're in in the moment. For the uninitiated, they can go back and read Descent and The Current and say, oh, okay, this is, this is all that backstory that happened with the characters. But yeah. there's, not an, there's, there's not a dependency on the previous two to understand these characters, their motivations, where they're coming from. 
and yeah. that's not easy to do. It isn't, and it's a delicate dance also because you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to tell that whole backstory because that would ruin you know you would you would spoil the the surprises of those previous two novels. So it was a real delicate dance to give just enough of their backgrounds, um, but not to not to make it seem like I was withholding information, but to give just enough so um, they they had a backstory without giving away that that whole story without undermining the reader's you know virgin uh, encounter with those stories. Well. From this reader's perspective, well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. It's good. It's good to hear. Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, I'm very much, you know, it's going to be a few years, but I'm, you know, I'll be eagerly anticipating what comes next. And um, I wish you nothing but the best of luck with this novel um, as you go out and promote it. And um, it seems like you've garnered quite the readership over the course of three novels. And, um, it's justly earned. You tell compelling stories and have really great character explorations. Thanks, Doug. It's really, it's, uh, it's great to hear that and great to speak with someone who's read so closely and carefully. I appreciate it. Well, I was immersed in the story. What can I say? <laughs> That's good. I love it. <laughs> Distant Sons is now available from Algonquin Books. podcast is in the loop the legion of osiris podcasts osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love get in the loop at osirispod.com